This last year has taught us all about the importance of leveraging a digitally enabled operating platform. Having some clearly defined processes that are repeatable, sustainable, have really made a difference for us. The end result for clients is creating a more consistent client experience as they interact with our program. If you think about the ways in which you have to differentiate your offering, they are limited. I can make an argument that the only thing you have that will enable you to differentiate is your process, the process by which you're working with your clients. Whether it be on their investor portal or whether it be on the mobile app, how do we display how advisors are helping clients achieve their goals? Less about comparing performance to a benchmark, more about saying, we wanted to achieve this goal. Are we on track to achieve that goal? The technology, that's allowed us to make sure that we're, we're executing on what we say we're going to do. From a service level standpoint, if you're an A-plus client, the technology is the piece that helps us make sure that we're executing. Is it, is it getting any easier from a data sharing standpoint to share data between the parent organization and the investment program, especially when the investment program has a third-party broker-dealer? We are very, very fortunate. Uh, our institution is very focused on providing a, a plan for every member at every level. So from a data standpoint, we have no issues getting to the data. Hello, and welcome to the Stathis Mattel Untangling FinTech podcast series. Our focus in this series is to provide you with an understanding of the myriad of technological offerings in our channel an awareness of the competitive impact of evolving technologies, and the knowledge that enables you to make confident strategic technology decisions. This episode, titled Turning Prospects into Clients, will focus on leveraging technology to create efficient and standardized workflows and processes to move contacts through the prospecting pipeline and have them emerge as loyal clients. Our guests today include an EVP from LPL responsible for helping financial institutions grow their investment services businesses, and two successful wealth management executives from top tier programs who are responsible for driving revenues. Our hosts are Scott Stathis and Bob Mattel, and we would like to express our gratitude to LPL for their support in making today's episode possible. I'll now turn it over to our hosts. Hello, I'm Scott Stathis, and I will be co-moderating this episode, which will be a technology-oriented panel discussion, and I'll let my partner introduce himself momentarily, and then our guests will introduce themselves. But first, I'd like to frame the discussion. So our topic today is turning prospects into clients and how to do so with efficiency and scale, utilizing the leverage that technology provides. So our industry is at an inflection point driven by, I think, two things, client expectations and technology. It's getting more difficult to, to be able to differentiate your offerings and compete in the space. Um, but the right technology utilized in the right ways provides incredible leverage, especially as it relates to the all-important client experience. So today's discussion will focus on how advisors should be leveraging technology to increase engagement with prospects and clients and then help those clients plan for their future in a way that engenders client loyalty. 
So that said, Bob, let me hand it over to you so you can introduce yourself and then we'll have our guests introduce themselves. Bob? Thank you very much, Scott. I am Bob Mattel and I am the co-producer of this podcast series, which is entitled Untangling Fintech. So let's get right into it. And um, Arthur, why don't you go first? Uh, well, happy to, uh, Bob and Scott. First of all, let me thank you for having uh, me on the podcast today. Uh, really value the opportunity to, uh, to to work with you and our other panel participants. Uh, my name is Arthur Osman. Uh, I'm with LPL Financial. Uh, I'm an executive vice president responsible for our institution services uh, business and clients. And I'm um, happy to be here today. So thank you. Thank you, Arthur. Brad. Good afternoon. Again, thank you uh, as well for the opportunity to participate. Uh, my name is Brad Johannes. I'm uh, with Dear Employee Credit Union in Moline, Illinois. I'm the VP of Wealth Management and Program Manager. We have a team of five advisors, uh, two administrative staff, and a financial planner on our team. So excited to be here. And we're excited to have you as well. Hey, JC, your turn. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is JC Murray. I'm with First Interstate Bank. We're a multi-state uh, banking organization in the Northwest. My role is I'm a program manager for our program. We we have an integrated wealth delivery using a trust platform as well as retail brokerage across that the six-state region that we're in. That's great. Well, let's just jump right into the conversation then. How has the pandemic affected the way you do business? Seems like a real easy question, but Arthur, I'm sure you have a lot to add to that. Hmm. I'll do my best. At maybe at the highest level, what I would say is this last year has taught us all about the importance of leveraging a digitally enabled operating platform to conduct this business. Um, if you think about so many of us um, being uh, displaced from our branch locations, advisors beginning to work uh, from home, standing up uh, home offices in a very short period of time, uh, having a platform that um, enables a, a digital execution is, is paramount. I think the other thing um, that this year has taught us is how to better live into the new ways of working and interacting with clients. We've had a, a saying within our organization that the pandemic hasn't created new trends. It has just simply accelerated trends very, very rapidly that have been underway for quite some time. Literally catapulted us forward by by five or 10 years, if you want to think about it that way. And so, you know, to me, uh, it's really about how important a digital operating platform is and, and needing to have the right tools uh, in place to support advisors. Are there any specific tools that you have accelerated over the last uh, six, 12 months? Yeah, Bob, we have been very busy. We pivoted where necessary. Um, and we accelerated a, a lot of work that was underway. If I uh, dove into that a little bit, um, if you think about digital interactions and interacting with clients, last year at LPL, we launched a, a calendaring uh, capability that brings automation to how we set appointments um, and, and get coordinated with clients using uh, a tool called Schedule Once. We had had texting capabilities for our advisors we saw 
a tremendous increase in the adoption uh, and the utilization uh, of that tool. We introduced an inter-office communication tool called Slack, and we've got um, a digital client management tool coming that we're really excited about. Um, As we think about operations, we uh, had always had e-signature capabilities for the majority of uh, the business that is transacted on LPL's custody platform and made more forms e-signature eligible. And so we're now at a point where virtually every form on our custody platform is e-signature eligible. We had been progressing our annuity order entry tool forward and and trying to ensure that that is e-signature eligible. And so we were able to achieve that for new annuity contracts. And we're just on the cusp of enabling e-signature capabilities for uh, exchange-related transactions on the annuity platform. We rolled out advice pay. Uh, as an example, um, which is a a subscription-based financial planning billing platform. Uh, And so we've been hard at work. Those are just a a number of the things we've been focused on at LPL that sort of fit into those two categories of a digital-enabled operating platform and new and modern ways to engage with our clients in an efficient way. You you mentioned e-signature several times, and that brings to mind what we were all um, involved with in March and April, where not a lot of organizations were engaged with e-signatures. And all of a sudden, it was that accelerated trend that you mentioned. Everyone was rushing to get e-sig after being asked and and prodded to do it for years. And all of a sudden, in two months, everyone's on e-sig. Amazing, right? It is amazing. So, you know, you think about um, advisors living into the utilization of that technology. And as you think about our end clients living into the utilization, you've just seen tremendous transformation in how people operate and how our consumers engage with us or investors engage with us. It's, it's, uh, it's been really impressive. Thanks, thanks so much for that. Brad, let me, let me repeat the question. How has the pandemic affected the way you guys are doing business in your program? Well, I mean, from our, with our program being that our client base is tied to John Deere employees and John Deere retirees who are really scattered throughout the, the United States as well as, as well as the world, we have been dealing in a, pretty much a remote environment for, for several years. So, uh, you know, we've utilized the e-signature. We've utilized uh, a lot of the advisory you know, brokerage to con- convert to an advisory tool that LPL has. And, and so it really hasn't changed a lot of our day-to-day operations of what we do because we have been living in that that uh, that world uh, world for some, quite some time you know the fact that we had already made that transition and shift to uh, advisory over the last three years we had a so we have about 75 percent of our revenue today comes from advisory uh, where it was about 12 percent three years ago so uh, making that transition over the last few years has really helped us you know kind of weather the storm through the uh, through the pandemic so uh, really it's been last year was pretty much business as usual for us well, now I see why you're on this podcast, too, to be ahead of the game. That's amazing. And 70% up from 12, that's really uh, an accomplishment. Is there any one thing, though, that you think you may have done differently, given that you have, uh, you know, uh, a leg up on everything else? Yeah, the uh, I would say that you know we utilized uh, Microsoft Teams very early on in the, pa- in the pandemic. We had uh, about 
six months before the pandemic, we had gotten every everybody within our team and, and within the credit union too with a laptop, kind of anticipating a disaster recovery type mode, focused on uh, Microsoft Teams early on or late in, in 2019. So uh, when that came, that really stepped up our game as far as how we interact with a client so that we can do it virtually and through a video to either Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams environment. So it really helped engage uh, where a lot of clients that we used to have to travel to go see, uh, we'll do those meetings virtually today. And it's, uh, it's really, uh, really been remarkable. And some just don't want us to come out anymore. They're like, no, let's just do it through Teams. That's fine. Talk about a new uh, efficiency model. Uh, hey, JC, your turn. All right. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, we, you know, our comments and, and what we've seen are kind of more of what you've heard from Arthur and, and Brad as well. From our standpoint, covering six states, we already had been using uh, video technology some, and going into a pandemic, it definitely has accelerated our, our need and use. You know, we've found some technology challenges that you know, we were able to work through or try to accelerate some of our solutions for when we've got the need that we have had d during this time frame. So definitely using the, the video connection opportunities uh, much more significantly with our clients as well as uh, between our team members. One of the things that we had started working on prior to the pandemic was really focused more on planning as well. And, and we found that to be very helpful to be utilizing that system and quite frankly, trying to refine that system more during this pandemic, just because it allows us to go deeper with our clients and have more meaningful conversations when, you know, the branch traffic and finding that growth through new acquisition has been so challenged. Are you finding that more clients are open to the planning process now? You know, it was very interesting, especially early in the uh, early in the pandemic. Our advisors were all saying kind of the same thing: "I can call my clients, and they're answering the phone." Right? I mean, you, you weren't leaving nearly as many messages because people were all kind of locked up. So, so the conversations about planning early were kind of planting those seeds. But then, as we saw this drag on and persist a little longer, and our people got a little bit more comfortable in the video delivery of things. Uh, we started seeing more engagement into the planning process uh, rather than just touching base and waiting for this to be over and we'll do it when we get back in the office. Um, it took us a few months, I think, for everybody to realize that this isn't going to be a, a few weeks and we'll be back to business as usual. This is going to last a little longer. And so we've really seen that momentum pick up and the activity related to that accelerate as we as we went several months through the pandemic. Well, Arthur, you set the table very nicely because all I kept hearing is accelerated trends throughout this conversation. Not necessarily new business practices, but definitely an acceleration of what's been going on in uh, years ahead where we were before. Uh, let me pass it on to Scott. Yeah, it's a, I, I had a, a bunch of thoughts as I was listening to you guys speak. So let me, uh, let me kind of make a comment and then tell a short story that will lead us to the next question I have to ask. And the comment is, what's, what's interesting about what we've gone through with this pandemic is that it's forced the hand of a, of a lot of uh, our advisors and certainly our programs to really leverage technology. And in a lot of cases, technology that had always been there, but maybe not utilized to the degree that it should be utilized for efficiency's sake. So, you know, I always say when, when something gets squeezed, you see what its essence is, right? You squeeze an orange and juice comes out and that's its essence. 
right? So technology has gotten squeezed because of the situation we're in and the juice that has flowed from it has a lot of advisors saying, hey, that tastes pretty good. And this is really doing a lot for me from an efficiency standpoint to help me scale my business, work more efficiently, spend more time with my clients, et cetera. And one of the best stories I heard was from an advisor who uh, has really embraced technology and did so be even before the pandemic. And he said, let me, Scott, let me, let me tell you how good this is right now. He said, I, I was working with a, a client the other day. It's actually a couple, a husband and wife that are getting close to retirement. And I've been working with them for years and I'm helping them plan on retirement. And so we had a, a virtual meeting and he said, they're pretty technology proficient. So I was on their iPad, you know, we were doing a, 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 a Zoom meeting I was on their iPad. They were asking me questions. And I said, well, let me bring your plan up. So he uses Money Guide. He brings their plan up on screen and they start doing some what ifing. And, and then the, the client said, and as a husband and wife, they were sitting on the couch. They said, well, wait, let me put this to our big screen TV so I can see it better. So he, you know, Apple TV flips it. It's on their big screen TV. Their plan is on his big screen TV. He said, now picture this. This is the advisor talking. Picture this. I am working with my clients on their retirement. They see their financial plan on their big screen TV. We're playing what if. They're sitting back on their couch. They have a drink in their hand. They are in the place they're going to retire. And I'm working with them on their retirement plan. They never want to see me in my office again. This is just too good. It's a perfect world scenario, right? I mean, that's what we have now, which is if leveraged right, it's a beautiful thing for our advisors and, and it increases efficiency. So what I'd like to do is let's talk, let's talk more about that, how, how technology really enables advisors to build better client relationships, because that's what that example I just gave is exactly what it's doing, right? And specifically, so how to use these resources to create scale, to be able to do it with more clients more efficiently and enable advisors to be more client-centric, meaning less time doing other stuff and more time spending time with clients developing their, their business. And, and Arthur, maybe you can kick us off because you get the perspective from a from a third-party broker-dealer level, where you see what's going on with a lot of programs, and you see you see the ones that are knocking it out of the park. So, how is technology best being leveraged to create scale and enable advisors to be more client-centric? Well, I suppose maybe the best place to start is how do we think at LPL about empowering and equipping our institutions and our advisors with the right technology that helps them accomplish the things you're describing in that story. And I know Brad and JC are highly focused on as well as so many of our other clients. And so the lens by which we sort of think through, uh, invest in technology uh, for is all about driving increases in efficiency, putting time back into the day for our advisors, allowing them to focus more uh, purposefully on their client relationships, which ultimately creates more capacity for them to drive growth or transformation in their business, right? So at the highest level, technology has got to create value. It's got to create efficiency. Efficiency leads to being able to support and interact with more clients, 
when you do that, you're creating more time and you're allowing advisors to grow or transform their business in however it is that they may be focused. And so we're looking at things like how do we integrate different technology tools and applications together into a more seamless uh, experience? How do we eliminate the need to enter data into systems only once, not keying in the same data into multiple systems as you think about the life cycle of the work advisors do with clients using different tools? Uh, How do we reduce the number of clicks, right? And then lastly, we're really um, sort of laser focused on the defined workflows that advisors use every single day. Um, One of them is actually the title of this podcast, which is turning prospects into clients in an efficient uh, manner. So I guess, Scott, at the highest level, that's how we think about technology. That's where we invest in technology. And that's the outcome that we're trying to create for our institutions and advisors. Excellent. And, and, um, you know, one of the things I think that's implied in a lot of what you said uh, and a lot of what we're talking about so far, because it's all client relationship oriented and client management oriented is, um, you know, the client data. And I, I would guess that CRM has to become more and more, you know, business centric to uh, to advisors. So, and that's just a, a random thought, but, but, but Brad, I'd like to, I'd like to have you go next. And if you have some thoughts on CRM, please, uh, you know, give us, give us those thoughts. But the last comment I make before I hand it off to you, um, and Arthur, this came to mind as I was listening to you talk is, in theory, the best construct for working with all the data that that we need to work with or advisors need to work with um, is that all of the data sits in one centralized location and the different different applications they use are just different lenses and filters to look at that data. Right. So, and, and cause it used to be the case way back when that each application had its own database. And now we're getting to the point where that's not the case that each application is reliant on a centralized database that is pulling the appropriate information based on the job of that ap- application, whether it be the planning application, the CRM application, the onboarding application or, or whatever. So, you know, again, a random thought, but I think that's helping with efficiencies, but Brad, g- give us, give us your thoughts in, in this regard on leverage technology for these you know efficiencies and client relationships yeah we uh, we, we really believe that uh, you've got to have a clearly def- clearly defined processes and uh, that are repeatable and sustainable that uh, that our team can utilize on a day-to-day basis we use uh, redtail as our CRM uh, and we've established a multitude of workflows that we have within there that really that really kind of go through the from a referral process standpoint from a review meeting standpoint from a new client onboarding process what we do and how our how our admin team and uh, our financial planner and the advisors you know interact on a, on a day-to-day basis you know, we also spend a lot utilize that as uh, it, to do some segmentation of not only our existing book of business on the investment program within the investment program but also we segment the the credit union based on profitability of the member as well as engagement levels of that member so the more engaged levels higher profitability levels you know we then take that data and do some target marketing to to some specifics uh, we've acquired some outside data for from Broadbridge that we've incorporated into that that helps us identify where the investable assets that uh, our members have that are they hold somewhere else that are not with us. 
In addition, we've overlaid five different personas that, that we've developed as a, from a marketing standpoint. So whether it's a distressed member, a striver, achiever, a satisfied or a guarded member, uh, and we can do some specific marketing and overlaying that on the credit union segmentation, we can do some specific marketing to that to make sure we're getting to the right people. We're very, very deliberate in those in those processes so that we know that uh, each interaction that, a, that one of our advisors has with a member or one of their clients, it's very, very focused on the, on the process. And now they all have their own style, but we wanna make sure that we're adhering to a specific process on a day-to-day -day basis. It's interesting, you're focusing on, on process, which I think is critical and there are, there are elements of the process that you have to leave up to the advisor's personality, right? But there are other elements of the process that should be standardized. And we'll get into more about process. And Arthur knows I'm he, Arthur knows where I'm going to go eventually, right? I see him smiling here. <laughs> but I, I knew um, you get I knew you get process in there. So I knew you get process in there, Scott. Yep. I more more to come. I'm not going to die fully in yet, <laughs> Arthur, but I'll get there. Um, but Brad, you said a couple of things that were really interesting. One is doing segmentation and looking at investable assets, right? So the implication right. you, you, there is wallet share. So you're looking at wallet share and what percentage of wallet share your advisors currently have and are they dealing with the majority of their clients' investable assets or not? And if not, why and how do they do that, right? So I'd love for you to comment on that. A and then B, you also mentioned personas and you blasted through them pretty quickly. Yep. A little more insight into those because that sounds kind sure. of interesting. What we uh, from a from a wallet share standpoint, I think as a, as a program, we run about uh, 65 to 70 percent wallet share within uh, within our existing clients uh, in that. So it's it's relatively high. I think a part of that is the nature of the clientele that we have is a little bit higher net worth clientele being coming from uh, from Don, John Deere as well. So that uh, that impacts that that piece of it. The personas, like I said, the you know we have uh, five different personas. You know strivers or distressed members are typically credit focused type members of the credit union that that need that you know maybe a credit building experience and, and that uh, and that kind of saving for uh, retire saving for an emergency fund things of that variety uh, our strivers those are typically our younger members that are kind of building that uh, starting their future you know the achievers are ones that are relatively successful today. Uh, satisfied are pretty much uh, those are ones that are more in their retirement years, and then the guarded ones that they have typically more assets, investable assets, but are a little bit more cautious on who they're who they're doing business with. So, but we've overlaid that into the the different quadrants that we have. We we track from a segmentation standpoint the whether a member has a checking account with us whether they have a checking, but they're not active, meaning they're, we are not considered their primary financial institution, or they are an active checking, uh, which we, we determine that that's a, that's a member that uh, they do all of their business with us. So we overlay those, those personas on top of that, that segmentation piece, and then that helps us drill into who are the prime target uh, candidates that we can go from a marketing standpoint and go to target. That's uh, good for you. You're, you're really focused on strategy and execution of the strategy. And my guess, and I don't know the history of your program, my guess is once you started uh, enabling those types of strategic initiatives, you've seen some very yep. significant increases in production because of it, right? 
That's correct. Yes. Yeah. That that's really allowed us to go from, you know, 12 to 70 plus percent of our uh, revenue coming from the advisory platform. And, uh, you know, two years ago, we were about uh, a million two program or three years ago, we were about a million two in revenue program. Uh, we did a little over 2.4 million last year. And you've leveraged uh, so, technology so for, for the most part, right? You've leveraged technology to get there. So, so that's great. So right, right back to what you said, Arthur, there's a living proof that it actually can work. If you, if you think about the, the, the potential of technology and apply it strategically, boom, right? It, 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 it works. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> JC would love your thoughts on this as well. Yeah. Um, thanks, Scott. Um, you, you know, we've you guys were really hitting on the process aspects, and um, that's been a big part of where we've focused has been building processes to you know help solidify a little program identity. The reality is being able to create those processes to allow our advisors to be themselves within a process that creates that efficiency and scale for them, and also creates some reputation with your bank partners and your clients that helps us develop a, a broader awareness that's bigger than just one advisor. It's, it allows us to have some consistent client experience and, and, a, and a broader holistic experience for our clients that creates that broader reputation for our program. You know, many times we feel like we get into the, the whole discussion around program identity and it's really hard to get beyond advisor identity, right? And, and so then we have some inconsistencies between branches or even uh, some client experience because we're not creating that broader shared um, experience. And, and then finally, the piece that we really believe is it creates a more consistent experience for advisors that can be replicated time and time again with clients. And the end result for clients is creating a more consistent client experience as they interact with our program. So uh, I can't help myself. Arthur knows this. I, I'm, I'm going to make a few more comments about process. <laughs> and Arthur's laughing there. I see him on screen laughing. So here, here's a, a, so here's another way to think about process. If you think about the ways in which you have to differentiate your offering, they are limited. There are not too many things you can do to differentiate your offering from your competition. I can make an argument that the only thing you have that will enable you to differentiate, the only thing you have is your process, the process by which you're working with your clients. That client experience that is created by the process is your only differentiator. And if you're not focused on that process and improving that process, then you will be an afterthought, right? So, Process is critical here, and, and, and I say that because I know a lot of the rest of this discussion is going to be focused on, on process, but I, I cannot overemphasize the importance of strategically assessing your process and making sure you're laying down a process that is exceptional and that creates differentiation. All right, so with that said, I'm going to hand it back over to Bob because financial planning and advisory business is part of the the process, right? And I know that's the next question. Yeah, but I, I think JC had his hand up. He had something to add. You know, I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to also make a comment about process, Scott. In in context of working within an institution, I, I think we also have to help create that awareness to our bank partners, right? We we too often get trapped into the conversation around the investment vehicle. 
right? And we all know that if we're doing our job well, investments is part of the delivery, but it's not the entire value proposition. And so being able to adopt a process that helps bring that vernacular and commonality to a, a collective group of advisors creates that awareness that becomes bigger than one advisor. That is what starts attaching some program identity. And that same thing happens within uh, the advisor population, but also happens within the client population. Yeah. yeah, you know, really good point. I have a follow-on thought, but so does Arthur. So Arthur, go ahead, I'll hand it off to you. Yeah, I'll just, I, I want to build on this, um, Scott, and, and I think a, a point that, that JC made, and as I think about the work JC does, I think about the work that, that Brad does. Your comment, Scott, was that um, process is one of the few remaining differentiators, right, that advisors have. Correct. Um, and I, I agree absolutely with that statement. Um, but I would also, you know, I invite us to think about wealth management delivered through financial institutions looks very different from one institution to the next. If you think about the, the long-term trends in our business um, where, you know, we've talked for years about the need and the opportunity to accelerate the utilization of advisory uh, as, uh, as a solution to deliver wealth management. Program leaders have talked for years about how to grow the utilization of financial planning in the delivery of, of wealth management services. And so, you know, you're right. Process is a point of differentiation from one advisor to the next. But as we think about um, an institution and, and their journey to modernize and transform their particular business and value proposition and how they deliver those services, technology is also helping enable those two trends. How do we deliver more financial planning? How do we utilize advisory at higher levels? And, you know, I know JC and Brad have both done tremendous work. Uh, in that regard. So I guess what I'm saying is, is, as we think about process, technology is the enabler of process and technology is driving acceleration in some of the long-term trends and transformations we've, we've been consulting on and talking about for so many, many years, Scott. And I know that's, uh, I don't need to tell you about, you know, telling that story and, and helping, you know, institutions along that journey. Yeah, yeah, no, well said. And let me make a quick comment and hand it off to Brad. So, you know, JC, you referred to, and Arthur picked up on it, but you, you referred to the the investment products, the advisory accounts, uh, and so and so did Arthur. The one thing that I would caution advisors and program managers on is don't think of the investment products and the advisory accounts as your products. They're not. They're somebody else's products, right? Annuities are somebody else's products. The advisory accounts are somebody else's products. That's not your product, right? Your product, back to what we're talking about here, your product is your process. That is it, right? So you better think you know, long and hard about how to make that process the best it can be and leverage technology to, technology to do so, just like Arthur, Arthur just mentioned. So always have to keep in mind, and your advisors should do too, what is your product? 
It's not the, it's not the annuities. It's not the advisory accounts, et cetera. That's not your product, right? And that's a really interesting differentiator. If you, if you, if you jump down that rabbit hole and really assess what that means to your business and how you should proceed to be competitive as this industry evolves. So, so Brad, I just wanted to get that out. Let me hand it back to you. Well, and I think the, the other thing piece to that is, you know, with the, with the processes and the workflows and that that we developed for whether it's a new client onboarding, whether it's a client acquisition, whether it's a review meeting process, the, the, the technology, whether, you know, for us, it's Redtail, that's allowed us to make sure that we're, we're executing on what we say we're going to do. You know, if we're if we make a commitment from a service level standpoint to a client that uh, you know, if you're an A plus client, you're going to do a quarterly review. You're going to you know all the things that go along with that uh, that in a client interaction. The technology is the piece that helps us make sure that we're executing and hold our hold our team accountable to uh, to make sure that those processes are followed. So if we didn't have the the technology tool, it would be a it's a mute point. Yeah, well, and the other thing that's important about that is because Redtail seems to be kind of the center of the universe for a lot of what you do is that, you know, because of the work that LPL has done with Redtail, it's integrated, right? So you don't have to, if Correct. your advisors had to rekey the data into Redtail, they wouldn't even be using it. That's not the case anymore, right? So, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. so it makes it much more efficient. All right, I, I, th I think, Bob, <laughs> you wanted to ask a question about financial planning and advisory business, so this flows right into that. Well, well, absolutely, but just a note to all of our listeners, please get a pen and pencil ready to write down, your process is your product. <laughs> <laughs> that should have come through loud and clear as you listen to this. Put it, in, yeah. quotes and, put it in quotes and put my name after it. <laughs> exactly. And, and I don't, and I know we're going to weave back into product and process and, and all that, but let's turn our attention to some other strategies. Um, scale enables advisors to have the time to spend with their clients, but just as Brad and, and JC were talking process, as we just said, is also one of the key factors to driving client loyalty and retention. It's all about loyalty and retention. What other key strategies do you employ to, you know, to drive client loyalty, especially in this environment? And the practices that we that we start using now are going to accelerate, as we were talking about earlier, into um, into the new phase of what we are left with after this pandemic. So, Brad, what does customer loyalty and and retention mean to you? Yeah, to to us, I mean, we, you know, in that respect, we really focus on uh, the financial planning. Uh, and again, back to the financial planning process, we believe that uh, every member of the credit union at uh, at every level needs to have a some sort of a financial plan. Uh, that's gonna that's gonna vary depending on their stage in life and and what their their goals and objectives are. Uh, if I look back a few years ago, when I first got to the credit union, a lot of our conversations with our clients were based on price. And we immediately had to change that and, and really focus on what's the value of the relationship? What's the value that we bring to that client relationship? And, and driving ourselves away from trying to compete on price because somebody's always going to come in and, and undercut you from a pricing standpoint. So once we really, we focus that conversation on here's the value of the financial plan, here's the value of the relationship, here's the value of our processes, what what we what we bring to the table, our client inter engagement, our client interactions uh, dramatically went through the, through the roof. You know, from an institution standpoint, our goal is to make sure that all of our members are utilizing us as their primary financial institution. So, um, you know, and that really came to light several years back when we had an advisor left and we looked at the, the clients that he was able to 
to attract and take with him uh, were ones that were not engaged in, within the institution itself. So uh, we spent a lot of time focusing on new clients coming in, whether they're you know client coming in from outside of outside of John Deere to to us or a referral from from an, another employee or referral from a, a member. We want to make sure that uh, not only are they utilizing our services, that they're also utilizing everything that the credit union has to offer. From a from that planning standpoint, with everybody, all the different segments that we deal with, you know, one of the things we realized, going back to those personas, the those distressed members, those striver members that are just getting started out, may not be in a position that they're they're ready to become a client of ours. So the credit union created a position called a financial success manager to help develop that that uh, those members and get them more engaged at an, at an early stage in their life uh, to everything that the credit union has to offer. And then in addition, I have a full-time planner on our staff. Uh, that's, she creates the plans in, in conjunction with the advisors. She works with the advisors on the presentation of the plan so that the advisors can focus on the client relationship and developing that value. And I have the planner that can take care of the uh, planning process that we go through. So uh, just some thoughts there. Just tell me a little bit more about this financial success manager. It's a credit union employee. Basically, we took a, uh, a business development officer or a member service rep. We gave him a pilot of, a, of about 1,000, 1,600 strivers within the credit union. And his focus is to get them engaged in really building a plan for their financial success over, over time. And it could be getting them out of debt. It could be setting an emergency fund. It could be beginning, you know, getting them to a stage where they're creating a budget and they're creating creating that financial process for them. And so uh, to really put them in a position of financial success. Um, to date, it's a pilot program we've been running for about a year uh, and we've had tremendous success uh, with it. So uh, it's gone very, very well. Really kind of helping get that somebody from that very early stage to begin to develop to uh, ultimately become a, a client of ours. Well, we'd love to have you on a podcast in another year and see how that has, uh, has progressed. That's really, really an interesting uh, uh, new position. Scott, did you have something? Yeah, that, that is a fascinating position. So I, I had a, a follow-up question, um, Brad. You, you mentioned a centralized planner. And there's, there's been a lot of yep. back and forth and discussions I've had with advisors, program managers about centralized planning and does it work, does it not work? Um, and I've had a couple of comments from advisors lately and, and, and you tell me how you you position this because here's on the on on the negative side of centralized planning. I've had an advisor say to me, "Listen, the most important part of the planning process is the discovery process. I have to ask the right questions to understand my clients' needs and understand what motivate them to make financial decisions, and I have to capture all that data, right? And then that data has to get into the financial plan. If I capture all that data and then have to explain it or somehow." didn't transfer it to the centralized planner that they put into the plan. I might as well do it myself because it's going to take just as long. And now I created the plan. So this person, and I'm not saying this is the case across the board, but that person said, it doesn't make sense for me. How do you guys handle that? We uh, we get the we get the our planner engaged very early on in the process with a with a client. We had a client that came in and uh, had been referred to us in, you know, from a private banker in order to discuss the financial planning process. Gave us some very basic information initially and just wanted to see what the what the output would entail and what would come out of it. Once he saw the the plan that we were able to put together, he uh, he's like, "This is really good. This is great stuff." And uh, and a planning tool we use is eMoney. Yeah, once he saw that, that 
financial planner. And when he saw the capabilities of what she is, and she's an absolute master at the e-money program. So that, that, that I think in, in one part is very, very critical. You have to have somebody that, that knows the plan. She, she engaged directly with the client then once the advisor got her engaged with the client. Next thing we know, the client's uploading through the vault uploading all their documentation in order to, to give us the data to be able to complete a, a comprehensive financial plan for him. He saw that output and, and that the advisors that I have don't have the, the skill set and, and I, my belief to be able to put that comprehensive plan together in a format that is, uh, uh, that is going to be appropriate to, the, to that level of, of a client. I, uh, again, I want the client, the advisor maintaining the relationship with the client and let's let the planner do uh, let's let the planner do her uh, her processes. We also use for you know for the more simplified plan. Three out of the five advisors I have do a lot of work with the client work goal plan, uh, and that's for our you know maybe B and C client. For our A plus and A clients, we typically go toward toward the e money plan. But I just don't think it, and she's very very good at working on the fly. The example you gave earlier, Scott, about. The, with the screen up on the screen in the client's home and that and going through some what ifs as the advisor talks with the with the client the planner's in the room and she can as on the fly she will make those adjustments and, and put it up on the screen and, and be able to articulate that to the to the client so it's uh they've worked very very well in tandem together yeah. uh, but yeah. i i much prefer to have the advisors focusing on the relationship and not not spending the time on the plan itself yeah, no, I, I hear you. And you know what? It's all about execution. Just because centralized planning doesn't work in some environments doesn't mean it, it, it can't work in other environments, right? It, it is all about execution. All right, Bob, back to you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no problem at all. Great conversation. Uh, JC, we're talking customer loyalty and retention. What are your thoughts? Well, I, the centralized planner conversation is something that uh, is is very interesting. We've taken a little bit different approach in that um, we've really incorporated into our processes planning, but we're really leaning on our, our reps to be delivering that. How we've come into our solution here is is we've really focused on delivering three different levels of complexity and tried to tier our advisors as well as match up to the uh, client opportunity that is presented. Um, for us, we've got, we've got three segments of, of advisors. Um, we've got our wealth advisor group that is really focused on the high, higher level of complexity that clients represent, really trying to work with fewer but more complex clients. And we use a process uh, with them called Wealth Blueprint. And with Wealth Blueprint, I mean, the backbone of it is Money Guide. The uh, integration that LPL did a few years ago has helped us tremendously be able to map those assets in very efficiently. So the data entry side becomes uh, a lot less daunting. Um, our next tier uh, of advisor is, is our financial consultants. And our financial consultants are focused on clients that, that represent a little less complexity, that uh, kind of that mass affluent um, here, we've developed a process uh, around the six needs, right? So we have uh, developed that process um, where the advisors will use client goals or money guide as uh, kind of support and backup for the delivery that they have. And then finally, we have a centralized advice model that we call digital wealth services that is really focused on a virtual delivery, which is not unique in today's uh, delivery, but definitely something that's been accelerated with the pandemic. But uh, for us, we've got a lot of acquisitions that our, that our company has done on the banking side and have 
big populations of folks that uh, we know that we need that centralized delivery to be able to reach everyone that we haven't been able to scale up boots on the ground in those local locations yet. It goes back to what we said earlier at the, you know, when we first started this podcast, accelerated trends using a tiered approach, financial planning. Arthur, I am sure you have a lot to add with the tools and technology that you have at LPL in really enhancing client retention and, um, and loyalty. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, Bob, you, you, this little portion of our dialogue here is, is about how we create loyalty and retention with clients. And so naturally, we all sort of gravitate towards planning. Um, and really, what we're really focused on is the outcome of planning, which is about helping, helping our end clients achieve their ultimate goals and their aspirations. And planning is the process, right, that advisors use to do that. The title of, of this podcast is Turning Prospects into Clients. And that's actually one of the six defined workflows at LPL Financial uh, for how we think about developing and integrating um, different technology tools. And so, you know, just to touch on, on that here, um, JC talked about um, the segmentation that they use and uh, the, the range from basics to sophistication in terms of how they deliver planning for the right type of clients. And one of our principles, you know, at LPL is we want to enable our institutions and our advisors to have choice and options in the tools that they use. And so Brad mentioned our client goals tool, which is the simple goals-based modular planning tool that is embedded in um, our workflow uh, and how advisors start with CRM, then shift into the client goals application to perform simple calculations, whether that be retirement, whether that be education, whether that be one-time purchases, whatever the case might be, and then how that same data flows into a proposal generation system, right? And when a client likes the proposal you've created for them, uh, that data then flows into new account openings. So just trying to bring one of our workflows to life uh, a little bit, leveraging one of our most basic modular planning tools, which is client goals. We've also integrated, uh, as JC said, and we've talked about here earlier with, uh, with Money Guide uh, and eMoney as well, um, as you sort of you know, go upstream in terms of the level of sophistication and planning um, that you need to provide. One of the other problems that um, we're trying to solve here at LPL, which we think is an industry problem, um, is that advisors and clients alike are hyper-focused on performance. How did my account perform? And we think arguably that the, the more important metric is less about account performance and more about goal attainment and goal achievement. Right. So what we're working on is when advisors take clients through this process and they establish a concrete goal for a client, how do we display their account information, whether it be on their investor portal or whether it be on the mobile app? How do we display how advisors are helping clients achieve their goals? 
less about comparing performance to a benchmark, more about saying, hey, we wanted to achieve this goal. What is our percentage attainment? Or are we on track to achieve that goal? And that's uh, the way we're thinking about uh, how we ultimately focus on the right things and ultimately drive where you started, Bob, which is you know, generating loyalty and retention. Because if you help clients get to where they're going, that is what creates the highest levels of loyalty and retention. Well, and I, and I, and I think where it really comes into play and to kind of to, uh, to, to add on to what Arthur was saying is when you, you know, when the markets are going going the way they have in the last year, year and a half or so, uh, performance and that becomes, people start to look at performance. But when we're in a situation where we've got a down market scenario, the, and, and I can show somebody their financial plan or their, their client works goal, and they're still on track to hit their goals, that takes that performance issue out of the question. Uh, and so that we can focus on the plan and the goal uh, and get away from that, that, that performance. It's easy when the market goes up, but when the market's in a, in a, in a declining environment, that's when it becomes that much more important. I, I you know, so, so let me, just, let me just chip, chime in here. Um, there, are, there are a couple things going on simultaneously here. And, uh, you know, performance isn't a factor if an advisor is doing their job, right? Because first of all, if you do a good job in explaining risk tolerance and linking risk tolerance to your strategy, then you're never going to be looking at performance, right? Because it's irrelevant if you if you don't want a lot of risk, right? So it's it's all in the positioning. But more important than that, because we've been spending a lot of time talking about financial planning, um, you know the the essence of having a client trust you enough to do a financial plan for them is you as the advisor understanding the client to the degree, and I'll I, and I'll use maybe an exaggeration, but to 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 the degree that. You know, if they can't get home on time from work, they call you and say, do you mind just stopping at my house because my kids are home alone? I mean, you want to really engender a level of trust where they trust you with the keys to their house, you know, and I'm saying that figuratively, but they trust me with the keys to their financial kingdom. Now, the only way you can do that is by is by truly understanding the emotional things that that affect the financial decisions that they make. And like I always say, what does it mean to take care of loved ones, all that kind of stuff? Once you get that level of trust um, and you have a plan in place to help them get to where they want to get to, the performance of any individual investment is completely irrelevant and they're never going to look at it. It doesn't matter as long as you're making progress to the goals. That's the only performance that, that does matter back to what Arthur said, right? And, 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 and LPL is doing a good job in giving you a lot of ways if you're an advisor to show your client how you're doing as it relates to your goals, even on their mobile phone, right? Arthur, correct me if I'm wrong, but they can pull it up on their mobile phone and see how they're, right, how they're doing as it relates to their goals. I, I don't think performance, if you're a good advisor, it's a non-event these days, in my opinion, but do you, yeah. you let me know if you guys agree. Uh, I think you're right, Scott. And yes, um, w- w- the, the place in which we're, we're building and we're living into is to get to the point where, yes, goals are the centerpiece of how clients view their uh, accounts, view their information, and view the ultimate performance of the work that the advisor is delivering, is how are they doing achieving their goals. So that is the journey um, that we're on from from that perspective. There's one other thing that came to mind here, uh, and that is the, you know, 
the role of the advisor and how that is evolving, right? And so uh, we're talking a lot about planning. You know, planning is the, the platform uh, and, and the process that we use to deliver advice. But when you're in this kind of a relationship that you're just describing, right, where you refer to the advisor as holding the keys to their financial kingdom, that then positions the advisor to be more than just the provider of advice. It positions them to be the coach, right? Because you can build a great plan, but what we also all know is, you know, clients need our help following the plan. And coaching is an important role that advisors should be playing and need to earn the right to play with their clients to help them achieve those goals. So I just think coach, there's something to the the future of advice and the role that advisors play in the context of coaching. Well, all right. So, so, so let me build on that because you're onto something, right? Because you mentioned advice pay and a lot of people don't know what advice pay is. And, but it's very relevant to this subject. And I'll tell you why. And advice pay is a platform where you can do, do fee for service type business, right? So, so, so bear with me for a second here. If, if we think about where we've come from, from the way we get, we get compensated, we started with commissions, right? Now that's going away and it's going to fees based on AUM. But that's not necessarily working either. We're going to move past that. And I'll tell you why. I mean, one example is, you know, if you're an advisor and you have a $10 million client and you have another client that has $5 million, you're not doing anything materially different between the two. But in theory, you're charging one twice as much as the other, right? So that just doesn't work. But, you know, more, more to the point, uh, if I'm an advisor and you're my client and I tell you what I can do for you and then you say, oh, that sounds great. How much is it going to cost? If I'm, if I'm honest, my answer is, well, I don't know. How much do you have? That, that, that doesn't fly as a pricing model, right? So we're going we're gonna to go, we're going to start, and it's already happening in certain channels, especially the RIA channel, going more and more towards fee-for-service. Initially, it's going to be fee-for-financial plans, but it's, it's not going to stop there. All right, so based on what you just said, Arthur, think about this. If you're an advisor that has the keys to your client's financial kingdom, what does that mean? Well, it, it means that you're handling and you're managing for them more than just their investable assets. You're working with their illiquid assets. You're helping them maybe with debt and debt consolidation or whatever. You're helping them with a lot of other stuff besides the stuff that you can get compensated on today. So how does that work for you if you're an advisor? Well, it's simple, right? You, you're Eventually, you're going to have tiered levels of service if you're a good advisor. And that upper level of service that you're providing includes working with illiquid assets and everything else, and you charge an annual or a quarterly or a monthly fee for that, right? We're, we're going there. And, and I know you guys are ahead of the curve with advice pay because you see some of that coming. Initially, it'll be just charging for financial plans. But like I said, it's going to go beyond that. So that's, that's actually really interesting to think about because that's the direction things are going. So how do you set up your program and your advisors for that day? Because it will come. I don't know how long it's going to take, but it, it will come, right? That fee-for-service model is not going away. And if anything, it's, it's getting stronger. So I just wanted to make that kind I don't know if you guys have any thoughts in that regard, because I want to shift gears a little bit from there. But I mean, do you generally agree with what I just said? I, uh, Scott, it's Arthur. I, I do. Um, I think it is a, a trend that um, we're, we're beginning to see. Um, and just bring me bringing the, the conversation back full circle. We might need another really big crisis to accelerate this trend more rapidly. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, it is a trend um, and, um, and more and more um, advisors and institutions could benefit from acceleration there. Yeah. 
All right. So let me, I want to shift gears a little bit because we've been talking a lot about essentially developing business with existing accounts, right? And just evolving the, 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 the client relationship, et cetera. But there's a whole nother side of the equation and that's prospecting. And how do you get efficient with prospecting, leveraging technology, right? So, so that's a very meaty question. There's a lot to unpacking that question because among other things, we know that branch traffic is decreasing and branch traffic is becoming digital traffic. And, you know, like I always say, if we used to put advisors and branches to get in the way of branch traffic, but we're pushing customers out of branches, well, that's not good for advisors, perhaps. Well, it could be, though, if we learn how to get in the way of the new traffic, right? If advisors can't get in the way of branch traffic traffic as effectively anymore, then how do they get in the way of the new way that clients are, are dealing with our institutions and that's digitally. So how do you get in the way of digital traffic? So that's a, that's one element of prospecting. And that's a, that's a big question, right? And there, you know, there's, there are data mining implications there, et cetera. But, but Arthur, since you were kind of on a roll, you, you wrapped up the thoughts of the last question. I, I'd like to he- hear your thoughts on this question because it's a little bit of a different perspective, but technology is clearly going to be front and center with prospecting, especially as it relates to the fact that that we're collecting so much more data on clients now than we ever have been. Yep. Um, thank you, Scott. I, well, first of all, I think um, you're right to move us into this this next conversation because um, as we think back to uh, 2020 and and what we're hearing uh, and seeing from our our you know 800 or so institutions is that new client acquisition has been arguably the most difficult challenge that our institutions have faced for all the reasons you mentioned. And so I guess we think about that in in a couple ways. We use the the terminology lead generation to describe strategically what it is that we're solving for here. And, And this is where, you know, it's the combination of how an institution is mining prospects within their member base or customer base that could be good candidates for wealth management services, you're starting to see and hear a lot of a lot of creative ways in which to use data profiling to extract potential prospects. Now, um, if you just sort of park that thought for a minute, um, this is where LPL, you know, looks to to add a lot of value when our institutions are focused on how to, you know, query their member base or their client base. We would envision that they take that prospect list and do what with it? Well, they load it into their CRM system. What we've built at LPL are two key technologies that rely on CRM. Um, one is uh, what we call a marketing on demand system. And so this is a platform that has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of marketing related materials from general branding to campaign oriented content that can be disseminated using a different tool called an automated campaign tool. And, and this is the tool that connects to the CRM system and sets some automation for how an institution and an advisor would deliver generic content, campaign-oriented content, and drive ongoing engagement and touch points with either a prospect list or even their existing and current clients. Uh, you know, lead generation 
it, it is getting modernized before our eyes and the days of um, relying on a, a traditional referral and identifying a customer inside a branch, uh, I'm afraid, are, 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 are long gone. So I have to throw away my Rolodex, huh? <laughs> <laughs> maybe not completely throw it out, but not rely on it exclusively. <laughs> JC, I, I know you have some thoughts on leveraging technology for, uh, for, for, for prospecting. Well, and, and very specifically, I wanted to tag on to Arthur's comments around automated campaign tool. And, and, and I thought this spring was a, or last spring when the pandemic started was a great example. Well, one of the things that LPL did was create a lot of content, right, to be able to share with our clients. But the reality is things were moving so fast that it was hard to get that content delivered to the clients before it was stale. And and that's part of what we undertook the process of getting automatic campaign tool up and running for our folks in this last year. And, and a lot of March and April was a good example of that, not only to be able to drip and keep in front of our clients on a proactive basis, but what we feel like it's also going to position us for is being able to get in front of clients in a much more timely fashion as we start moving into um, the world of tomorrow, which, you know, last year was a great example of, of how quickly things can move. We want to be able to have valuable resources in front of our clients that fast as well. And that tool was, was, is, we, we believe is well positioned to help us do that. Yeah, that's cool. It's, it's amazing to me how, because uh, I work with a lot of banks and credit unions that uh, are working with third-party broker-dealers it's amazing to me how many of them don't leverage the marketing capabilities of the third-party broker dealer. I mean, it's incredible. And and I know that that you know that TPMs like LPL have some incredible marketing stuff and are constantly creating new stuff. Why wouldn't you leverage it? It's crazy. Brad, you had you had some thoughts? Yeah, and I think uh, I mean to to tag on to what both Arthur and JC said, you know, from the marketing on demand, the automated campaign tool. In addition to that, we use uh, social media marketing to with on LinkedIn. Uh, one of my admins, uh, all of the advisors have uh, delegated one of our admins to to be able to, to market uh, both on social media uh, on their behalf, as well as the uh, automated campaign tools, both from a, from a prospect standpoint, as well as to our existing clients. So the weekly market commentary, you know, the birthdays, the anniversaries, and and those kind of things that we uh, that we get out those those individual touch points uh, have made a dramatic difference. On top of that, the, as I mentioned earlier, the segmentation that we do and the very focused targeted marketing that we do with the utilizing the segmentation again, use utilizing the uh, the the pieces that we get from uh, we get from LPL. To uh, that, there's if you're uh, the social media thing uh, on LinkedIn, probably where we've had the biggest impact uh, of new client generation. Just creating the awareness of the pro of the program, it's been remarkable. Yeah, you know what? That, that that's interesting. I, you know, for so long people shied away from using social social media for marketing, but now you, you kind of have to, right? And so I, and I don't want to put you on the spot, Brad, but maybe I will. So how how does the process work? with uh, an advisor who's leveraging LinkedIn and then turning a prospect into a client because of the exposure they're getting in LinkedIn, if you can give us an example. I mean, we we get uh, we get several people a week that uh, that reach out to us uh, and directly you know through the 
the messaging function of LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, cool. We get contacts on a uh, on a weekly basis uh, of those that see the see the individual posts that uh, that are put out there on the advisor's behalf. Uh, they'll go right directly to the advisor, or they'll come back a lot of those pieces that are there uh, with a contact piece back, and I believe that comes back through uh, through our LPL email as well. Nice. That, that's that's cool. Good good for you. All right. I, I think, um, Bob, you have a question to kind of bring it on home and wrap it up. Uh, yeah, it's, it's almost it's a continuation of the last conversation about using technology. But um, I, I, I have to go back to social media and LinkedIn as two more accelerated trends. So, you know, the title of this uh, podcast is Turning Prospects into Clients. So really a fitting end question would be what advice would you share with our listeners about how to identify prospective clients and turn them into clients, how to turn those prospects into clients? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll make it brief because I think um, over the course of this discussion, we've hit on so many of the things that I think program leaders should be leveraging. One is we've got to modernize the lead generation process and we've got to use data to query the institution's customer base or member base to identify potential prospects. We've got to modernize the way in which we engage with those prospects, webinars, webcasts, using um, a, 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 a systematized sort of drip strategy to get in front of them uh, is, is also uh, very important. And so to me, it's really about those two things. I think that the, the institutions that are having a great deal of uh, success have embraced the need to transform in that way uh, early, and you're starting to see others uh, follow suit. And there are still others that I think are still trying to recognize that the world has changed and it's time to evolve the way that we generate new business. And so um, that's what comes to mind for me is just encouraging a lot of what we've been talking about. Let me ask a quick follow on to that, Arthur, because you mentioned data, right? Which obviously is key. Is it getting any easier? And, and, and maybe you can all comment on this. Is it, is it getting any easier from a data sharing standpoint to share data between the parent organization and the investment program, especially when the investment program has a third party broker dealer? Because that's key, right? If you're really going to do good data mining, it's critical that you have data from the retail and maybe commercial side of the bank and the loan department as well. That's the perfect way to do it. So yeah, man, I mean, maybe Brad and JC are a better position to answer this because it's been, in the past, it's been a challenge to share that data. And I think those walls are coming down a little bit, but I don't know. You guys tell me. Yeah, I would say on our side, we've been, we are very, very fortunate. Uh, our institution is very focused on, on providing value, providing a, a plan for every every member at every level. Uh, and so from a data standpoint, we have no issues getting to the data. So uh, they're, they're very, very open to, to that. Um, and that I think the, you know, to, to Arthur's comment, you know, uh, data mining, data, seg you know, segmentation of, uh, of our clients, of our membership of the, of the credit union, you know, how do we utilize that data and utilize the technology to get to the right people within the, within the organization that we, that we need to be in front of uh, are, are things that are very, very key. And I think having some clearly defined processes that are repeatable, sustainable uh, in order to do that uh, have really made a difference for us. Yeah, no, it sounds that way. And good, good for you guys. Arthur? Yeah, Scott. And I would just say, uh, I think to answer your question, um, we, we are seeing 
more progress in this area. There's uh, a lot of complexity that drives this um, this this data sharing uh, opportunity. Um, you know, things like the institution-specific privacy policy, the the need to manage opt-out from that process, and and then you've got institutions getting creative on how they leverage the data. Is it the advisor and or the wealth management? business that is doing the prospecting, or is it the institution that is communicating and engaging uh, their own clients in this opportunity? And so, you know, there have been a lot of creative ways to sort of work around some of the the limitations, but um, I think in general, we're we're seeing more and more progress, and it's born out of the recognition that uh, we got to modernize the lead generation process, and we can't can't simply rely on the old ways in which institutions have, uh, have done it. Yeah. You know what? One of the implications of what you just said, Arthur, is uh, is partnership. And the other thing that blows me away, you know, I mentioned I mentioned before that it blows me away how some organizations don't leverage the marketing capabilities, but there's a much bigger picture there, right? The bigger picture is that you as a third-party broker-dealer uh, should be a true partner to the financial institution, right? And those those financial institutions that are leveraging you as a true partner, and not just an afterthought, but a true partner, the results from an effectiveness and a productivity, a revenue standpoint, et cetera, are, are usually outstanding if you're really working in sync as a true partner. And, and obviously, you know, the reason why all of us are involved in this discussion is because that's happening between those of you in this discussion. Um, so I encourage listeners to just really leverage that partner you have in your in your broker dealer leverage their capabilities because there's so much let me put it this way if you're mining for gold they have all the tools you need to find those veins of gold right so totally you know leverage it so i, I i'm going to make a, a a wrap-up comment and then bob hand it back to you for for your closing comments um i i, I thank you all for everything you've contributed to this discussion and your, your, your willingness to talk about everything that we talked about. It's been great. And, and while, you know, I think, you know, an, an interesting point here to wrap it up is while technology is undoubtedly the lever that we need to pull to get this all done, the thing we can't forget is that the sweet spot in our business is where technology and the human touch meet. It's that combination, if done right, that makes all the difference in the world, that enables you to have efficient processes, that enable you to build trust among your clients, et cetera. So, you know, so much for Robo, right? I mean, Robo has a place, but the market share will always stay with the meeting between the human touch and, and technology. And you guys are doing that. So, so uh, good for you guys and, and congratulations. Bob? Wrap-up comments? Uh, yeah, just quickly, thank you again to LPL and Arthur Osmond for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks, Brad and JC as well for your uh, engaging us uh, today. And we hope all of our listeners enjoyed this podcast and subscribe to this series, Untangling FinTech and our other series, Industry Leadership and Success. Thank you for listening. Remember one thing, your process is your product. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard and, that before somewhere. <laughs> and, and this is Bob Mattel for Stathis Mattel Podcast signing off. All right. Thank, Thank you. you again, everybody. Great discussion. Much appreciated. Bye, all. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Untangling FinTech. We hope you found the discussion enjoyable and valuable. 
We'd again like to thank Brad Johannes of Dear Employees Credit Union and J.C. Murray of First Interstate Bank for their insightful contributions. Lastly and most importantly, we want to express our sincere gratitude to Arthur Osman and his team at LPL for their partnership and valuable support in the production of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success and BISA Industry Trend Watch. We hope you'll continue to join us for future episodes.